Hi, guys. Are you doing well? Okay, good. Because uh, I have come to uh, disrupt that for you this morning. <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever seen where there's like a, a big bird and then there's little birds attacking it? Have you guys seen that? The little birds chasing the big birds? Like there'll be like a hawk and then these little birds that are like the size of a sparrow that are just dive bombing this hawk and the hawk is trying to get away. You know what I'm talking about? Why do they do that? Why do those little birds attack the big birds? They're protecting their nest, right? Those big birds are after their eggs. And so it's amazing because the little birds realize, listen, I'm faster than this big bird. I can absolutely torment this bird and get it out of here. And all of the different birds work together when they do this. It doesn't matter whether they have a nest or not. If they see the little bird chasing the big bird, the other little birds join in until the big bird is gone because they got to protect their young. There's something that is in every parent, whether it's an animal or a human being, there is something in every parent that says, I am going to make sure that I protect my young. No matter what, I'm going to do that. I read this week about this um, breed of octopus that is found off of central California in very, very deep waters. And they actually had to put a submarine camera down there in order to um, see how, it, how this octopus behaves. But this octopus, it, it lays 50 to 100,000 eggs, the mother octopus, right? And, then, and basically attaches those eggs to either a rock or, or some coral or something like that. And then what the octopus does, the mother octopus just basically puts her body over the eggs to protect the eggs from, because, you know, fish and crabs and all that are coming and they want to eat those eggs. So the the mother actually puts her body over and protects the eggs until the eggs hatch. Now that's not so weird, right? We see chickens sitting on eggs until they hatch. It's not so abnormal in the animal kingdom. But what's amazing about this is the gestation period. They, they had a video online of this one where they sunk down a submarine with a camera and it took four and a half years for those eggs to hatch. And the mother never left. Did not eat for four and a half years. And then when the eggs hatched, the mother died of starvation. Isn't that amazing? I, I read another article about this octopus where one of the mothers ate one of her own arms to keep herself alive in order to keep her eggs healthy, and then ended up dying anyway. Ate her own arm. This octopus became a septopus or whatever, just to protect her young. Um, But the best one I've seen of this, maybe you guys have seen this, I I found this online. I'm going to actually show you a video of, of what a rabbit will do to protect her young. Watch this video. It gets better. (laughs) 
The snake's just trying to get away at this point. The rabbit's having none of that. And stay out. <laughs> that snake has ruined the day it ever met that rabbit, right? Did you ever see Monty Python and the Holy Grail and that big rabbit? That, that's that rabbit right there. Now, now, in that video, it's real footage, obviously, and in that video, it's a rat snake. It, ha it squeezes its prey, and it had already gotten two of the young rabbits, but there was one, I don't know if you saw, that got away right when the mother came in and, and the snake had to release the rabbit. Um, you, you know, you, you want to see a cute little bunny become, you know, something out of a horror movie. All you have to do is attack her young. So I'm trying to make a point here, right? And that is that there is a protective nature that is built into every parent that says, I will make sure that whatever is endangering my child I will get between that and my child, right? Is that true, parents? Will you do that? We would all do that. When your children are in danger, you will do absolutely anything to protect them. And if you're a parent, you know that you don't sleep well until you know that your children are okay. You know that you know, they're, when they get to be teenagers and they want to stay out late and all that kind of stuff, and they're saying, why do you worry about me? Why do you worry about me? You know that you cannot go to sleep until you know that they are home and safe, Right? Because there's just something in you that says, I have to make sure my kids are okay. See, as Paul is writing the letter to the Ephesians, he recognizes that they are in some very, very grave danger. If you remember back to the early part of this series on Ephesians, we talked about the fact that in the city of Ephesus, there is this 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 idolatry that is rampant, and there are false teachers everywhere, and the number one business in the city of Ephesus has to do with the temple of Diana or Artemis, the worship of this false goddess. And so the biggest money makers in the city are the ones who run the temple, the ones who run prostitution out of the temple as a religious act, and the ones who sell little idols, because when you come into town and you visit the temple, they will sell you a little uh, silver idol of Artemis that goes and sits on your mantle at home so that it watches over your house and keeps your family fertile and all that kind of stuff. And you'll remember that when Paul came and began to preach the gospel, one of the problems in the city was that the silversmiths who make the idols were losing business. As people began to turn away from idolatry to the one true God, the, these guys were taking it in the pocketbook. And they were fine with all of his preaching and all of his talking about this other God, 
But as soon as it began to hurt them financially, they began to freak out and they tried to run him out of town. Why? Because they had a vested interest in keeping the people in the dark so that whatever they could do to keep lying to the people about their religion, they were making money off of that. And so he had to protect them from that. So he knew what these people were living with when he writes the letter to the Ephesians. He knows that they're living with paganism. He knows that they're surrounded by the occult. He knows that there are people who are preying on them in order to make a dollar who are selling them false ideas. There are false teachers everywhere in Ephesus, and they're all trying to get rich. And he knows that. It's not unlike America today. There's false teachers everywhere, right? Right? I mean, you can find false teachers on the television. And by the way, not all false teachers are preachers. Some of them have their own talk shows. Some even have their own networks. There are false teachers all over. There are false teachers who are writing the scripts for some of the shows that we sit in front of and watch every week in order to learn this man-made philosophy. There are false teachers in the classrooms. There are false teachers in universities. There are false teachers all over the place that are teaching falsehood, right? And there are those lovely false teachers who are preachers. The ones who are standing up and telling you that if you will just send enough money to their ministry, they will send you back this cloth that they actually touched and prayed over. And if you'll put this on your body, that it will heal you. And, and if you just send another hundred bucks, then you'll get another thing and some special oil and all this kind of stuff. And they're selling this stuff the way the idol makers were selling idols back in Ephesus in the day. And they're all over the television. They're all over radio. They're all over stadiums. They fill arenas. These guys literally go on tours like rock bands, and they go and they, they sell out Staples Center. They sell out the Honda Center in Orange County. They sell out these places. These people come in in hopes of hearing some great new truth, some prophecy from God, some new revelation, or getting some sort of healing from this person who supposedly has this special gift and ability that nobody else has, and yet they rather take that gift and go to Staples Center instead of going down the street to Children's Hospital and using that amazing power to heal the sick, right? And they fill stadiums, these people. They write books. They travel around the world, usually in private jets, and bring this false teaching to other places. It's the number one thing that I'll be combating when I get to Africa this summer, and I'm training pastors. The number one issue that I have to deal with in Africa, in the poorest part of the world, is this, that there is a teaching that says that if you will just give your money to this certain preacher and you will have enough faith and you will show that faith by giving your money to these preachers, then you will have prosperity and you will have blessing and you will be rich. And what happens is they preach this prosperity gospel baloney and they come in and these people believe it because they don't have any training in the word of God. And even the pastors don't have training in the word of God. So they believe this stuff. And then when they've done it, and it doesn't work and do the magic they were promised, and the guy is already off to the next village in the next country doing his thing, the Muslims come in right behind. And they say, hey, where's your Cadillac? Where's all this big home that you were promised? Where is this God who they told you about? And the Muslims instead build schools, and they build clinics, and they build hospitals, and they get people involved in their religion in that way. It's, it's, the, it's probably 
if, if it's probably the single greatest spiritual danger affecting most of, of Africa today is this false gospel that's being perpetrated by false teachers. And why do they do it? For their own benefit, for their own glory, for their own pocketbooks. And people who are genuine Christians, who are desperate, they send them money. They go to these rallies. They, they have this hope of receiving some kind of spiritual blessing, and they think that that's the way they're going to get it. And they don't know the Word of God well enough to recognize the lies that are coming forth from these guys when they come forth. How many of you are old enough to, to remember this? Watch this. Remember that? Raise your hand. You remember Truth or Consequences? Yeah, this show ran for like 25, 30 years with a bunch of different hosts over the years. Bob Barker hosted that show for like 20 years, right? Truth or Consequences. And if you remember the show, here's basically the premise. They would get a couple people come up from the audience, and then they would ask a, a question, right? He would have a question on his card, but the question was something that was impossible, that nobody would ever get right. And they would give you like one to two seconds to answer it before the buzzer went off, Right? So it would be something like, okay, how many mosaic tiles in the Taj Mahal, right? And nobody ever got it right. So when people didn't get it right, then they had to face the consequences. If they didn't have the truth, they had to face the consequences. And the consequence was always some wacky gag where they had to do something and they had to be dunked in a tank of water, get hit in the face with a pie or something along these lines. And the audience laughed and it was this great show and everybody loved it, right? Truth or consequences? And I, I thought of that when I, when I was working on my message this week because as I was reading this passage in Ephesians chapter 4, by the way, turn to Ephesians 4, we're almost there. And, and, and when I was reading this passage and Paul's talking about the significance of the truth and basically telling us that if you don't understand truth, there are grave consequences. In, in the TV show, it's all fun and games. But in real life, if you don't know the truth, if you don't understand spiritual truth, if you don't understand biblical doctrine, the consequences are grave. The consequences can be devastating. And so Paul tells us to take the truth seriously. If you're in Ephesians already, you're ahead of me. Ephesians chapter 4. Let's take a look and see what he says beginning in verse 14 of Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4.14, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together, by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Folks, there are deceivers out there. And Paul is warning us to stay far away from them and to stay far away from their false teaching. 
Now listen, this is a challenge for me. I, I find it challenging all the time with all of the false teaching that is out there to find the balance here. Because on the one hand, I'm not a heresy hunter. It's not my job to just, you know, listen to everybody's sermons and read their books and check out their blogs and watch the video clips of their TV shows and figure out who's saying what's wrong so I can name their names and say, don't listen to these guys and all that kind of stuff. That's not my role. My role is to teach you the Word of God so that you'll be able to resist the lies when they come. On the other hand, there are so many of these people now, and they are famous, and they, are, they have airtime. And they are coming into many homes of Christians, and they are preaching dogma that is patently false and leads astray the sheep. And what does Jesus say? That a good shepherd, if he has 100 sheep and 99 of them are fine and one of them is led astray, he goes and gets that one and pays the price to protect his sheep. Just like the octopus will eat her arm in order to protect her young. Just like a rabbit will attack a snake in order to protect her young. We as pastors have this responsibility where we are supposed to make sure that the sheep, the flock of God, are not only fed, but are also protected. And so the balance is very difficult because I am familiar with a number of uh, pastors, preachers, authors who, who I agree with doctrinally on most of their points. And yet it seems like their spirit is such that all they're trying to do is find people who disagree with them on some point and tear them down and tear them down and tear them down. That's not the spirit of Christ. But on the other hand, if there are people who are, who are ravenous wolves going in among the sheep and the shepherd doesn't do anything about it, then what kind of shepherd is he? And so I always want to try to find that balance you know if you've been around here for very long that I don't spend a lot of time calling out names and saying don't listen to this person and don't read that book and all that kind of stuff. I have found that, that even the most terrible teachers oftentimes um, say something that is helpful, say something that is valuable, and that's part of the challenge. But guys, there are some folks out there who are teaching such heresy that this is not minor issues. These are not things that we just happen to disagree on and maybe Lutherans feel this way about it and Baptists feel that way about it. These are people who are, who are dismantling the gospel and replacing it with another false gospel. And something has to be said and something has to be done and somehow the sheep have to be protected from that. And this is Paul's warning. This is not new in our day. It's just, it's just more prominent because television and radio puts it all over the world. But in Paul's day, it was exactly the same. Paul would go and plant a church and teach them a little bit, and he would leave the elders there. You know, just picture this. The elders in this church are all men who've been walking with Jesus for decades and studying God's word for decades. They're qualified by their character and by their knowledge of God's word and all of that. Imagine a church in which the, the, the oldest person in Christ is like three weeks old. The, 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 Paul, Paul establishes a church and then he goes on to the next city and he, and he promotes elders from within that church and all of those elders didn't know Jesus four weeks ago. 
And so what happens is these false teachers come in behind Paul and then they start teaching all this stuff and saying that this is right from God and they too are apostles and they're unpreaching the gospel that Paul preached and they're bringing in the doctrine of works righteousness and they're bringing in Judaism back into the picture and they're bringing paganism into the church and they're, they're creating factions within the church. And that's one of the biggest reasons Paul writes the letters he writes is because he has to clean up the mess of the people who come after him, these false teachers. And so we are warned again and again and again in the scripture to be careful of this. This is not a minor issue. And I want to show you this, and you're going to have to get ready because we're going to look at several passages. I want you to go to the book of Acts. New Testament, fifth book, right after John. Go to the book of Acts, chapter 20. And we're looking at Paul's ministry in Ephesus here. In Acts, chapter 20, he is... um, he is getting ready to leave the Ephesian elders. And so he's giving them their charge. And I want us to pick this up in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. This is Paul's charge to the elders of the Ephesian church before he, their pastor, leaves them. He says this, verse 28, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert. Remember that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish you with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He says, listen, I started this church. I've been here for three years. I've been training you and preparing you. And you are now the leaders of this church. And I'm leaving. And I don't know if I'm ever coming back. I'm commending you to God because there's going to be these false teachers who are going to be coming in. I commend you to God and his word. Take his word seriously. Remember that night and day for three years, I admonished you from the word of God. I taught you the truth of God's word. Let that be the foundation of your lives and how you protect this flock because there are gonna be people who are coming in who are gonna teach falsehood and you're gonna have to call them out and make sure that you are protecting the doctrine of the true gospel. Now turn to the book of Romans, which is just one book to the right of Acts. And go to Romans chapter 16. And as he completes his letter to the Romans, here's what he writes. Romans 16, verse 17. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned and turn away from them. For such men are slaves not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. There are men with their own appetites to feed themselves, to pad their own bank accounts, to line their own wallets. They are going to come in and they're going to look for unsuspecting people who don't know better and they're going to teach you falsehood. Be on the alert. Be careful because this is going to happen. Now keep going to the right after 2 Corinthians and go to Galatians. Galatians chapter 1. He writes to the Galatians, Chapter 1, verse 6, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, 
which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, meaning the apostles, or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to that which you received, he is to be accursed. This new gospel, this new teaching, this new revelation that these preachers are bringing and saying, hey, listen, I got something from the Lord nobody else has ever gotten and let me just give it to you. I heard Benny Hinn in an interview one time say that when he's shaving in the bathroom in the mirror before, um, before he goes off in the day, as he is shaving, it is common for Jesus Christ to appear to him in the mirror and give him new doctrine that is to be added to the scripture. And he's the only one who gets it and we're just supposed to trust him. And the fact that it's contrary to the scripture is neither here nor there because Jesus appeared in the mirror and gave it to him. And people go, really, where do I send my check? This new gospel, this new revelation, this new teaching that nobody's ever come up with before. He says, if anybody brings you something like that, he's accursed. Go to the book of Colossians. Just keep turning right. You're going to get to Ephesians and Philippians and then Colossians. Go to Colossians chapter 2. Verse 4, Colossians 2, 4. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive arguments. For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. See to it, that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. See to it that no one takes you captive to this false teaching. Now, I'm going to read some more verses, but before I do, I'm hoping that about this point, some of you are starting to get uneasy. and Some of you are starting to begin to think, you know what? If there's all this false teaching out there, and there's all these false teachers out there, and, and I'm not really a Bible scholar. I mean, I don't know Greek or Hebrew or any of that. I've never been to Bible college or seminary. And I turn on the TV, and that guy's got a Bible in his hand, and it sounds pretty good to me. And then I hear that he's a false teacher. And, and honestly, I, if it's this serious, if it's this important, I don't know what to do because... I don't have the knowledge that some pastor or some theologian has, and I can't always tell the difference between good teaching and bad teaching. I hope some of you are starting to feel uncomfortable about that right now, because we're going to get to that. But first, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Just keep going right. We're just going left to right across our New Testament. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Paul, in writing to Timothy, who, by the way, he... Timothy is a young man, a protege of Paul's, who he left behind in Ephesus to be the pastor when he left Ephesus. And so he's writing to Timothy, the Ephesian pastor, and here's what he says. But the Spirit explicitly says, this is chapter 4, verse 1, the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. So where's all this false teaching coming from? Make no mistake, it comes from hell. 
Doctrine of demons. That's what this new false teaching is. Skip down to verse 6 as he talks about what some of that false teaching was that they were facing. And then we get to verse 6. It says, in pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and the sound doctrine which you have been following, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Let's pick it up in verse 14. 2 Timothy 2, 14. Remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed accurately handling the word of truth. He says to Timothy, the pastor, listen, teach them God's word. Don't let it be about these stupid arguments about silly little things and little distinctions about words and phrases and all of that kind of stuff that tends to separate us. You just teach them the truth. But he says, if you, if you do not handle accurately the word of God yourself when you teach it to the church, you should be ashamed of yourself. And so it is the role of the pastor and teacher to make sure that he is handling accurately the word of truth and delivering it to the people because this is the beginning of the foundation of what protects us against those false teachers. The way that you are going to know what is true is you are going to study it in the word and you're going to hear it taught from good teachers and you're going to lay a, a scriptural foundation for your life that you're going to understand. Skip over to chapter 4 of uh, 2 Timothy. Look at verse 3. 2 Timothy 4, 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. Let me just stop there. Let me say this as clearly as I can. There are many, many gigantic mega churches in America and around the world, where the Word of God is faithfully taught and the church is growing because of the feeding that they're getting on the Word of God. Uh, this is not a commentary on large churches. That being said, some of the largest churches in America have in their pulpits men and women who falsely teach the gospel. They're the most influential teachers in our society today. Their books go to number one on the best-selling list as soon as they come out. And when they go on their big tours and fill the stadiums, people get in line to buy tickets to hear them preach. And he says, there's going to come a time when people are not going to want to sit still for sound doctrine. They're going to want to have their ears tickled. They're going to hear something new, something exciting. Something that, that gets them all jacked up about how great life could be if they just did this, if they just did that. That's what they're going to want to hear. And so they're going to accumulate for themselves teachers. And I'm telling you, there are entire television networks that have an accumulation of these teachers. And if those networks are on in your house, you're getting false teaching. We need to be careful. First Peter chapter 2, and we'll finish it with this. Not finish the sermon, don't get excited. First Peter chapter 2, just finish this list. We're going to pick it up in verse 1, 1 Peter 2, 
But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly induce destructive, introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, being, uh, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. That, I'm sorry, that's first, uh, first Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. I don't know if I didn't get that on the slide. Is it? Second Peter, sorry. Second Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. We'll see if I remember to fix that in the next sermon. Here's the point, guys. I just read you like 10 different passages. This is really a big deal to God. This is really serious stuff. You can't find almost any book in the New Testament where God doesn't say, listen, be careful because people are going to teach falsehood, and if you don't know the truth, you are going to be deceived. And not only will you be deceived, but now having that deception within you, you will lead others astray as well. This is a huge deal. There are more people today who name the name of Jesus in America than ever before, and yet the impact of the actual gospel is probably weaker than ever before in the history of our nation. What's that about? It's about the fact that people are feeding on, at best, cotton candy, and at worst, strychnine. And there are people just dispensing it to them and poisoning the church. My friends, too many who name the name of Christ are content to remain immature in their faith. And too many of us shrug our shoulders, throw our hands in the air and go, look, I'm not a scholar. I just, hopefully God will protect me. And they leave it at that. And what God is telling us in Ephesians 4 is that option is not a good choice. We need to take a different approach. And so people remain little children, easily deceived, and unless you and I are regularly feeding on the Word of God, we will be knocked over and tossed around by every wave and wind of doctrine that comes our way. Now listen, let me find the balance here. God gave pastors, we saw this in, in chapter 4, verse 11. Go back to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. And you're going to see why God gave pastors to the church, among other reasons. Verse 11, he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, to the building up of the body of Christ. And it goes on to talk about the whole church becoming mature. So not everyone is supposed to be an advanced Bible scholar. I'm not saying you all better get to seminary, you all better learn Greek, you all better do all of that kind of stuff. God has given gifted pastors to the church who are called and equipped and gifted to teach the word. That's good. There are some people who are more expert in certain things than other things. That's just how it is. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying every one of you needs to become a seminary professor. But neither am I saying that it is okay to just shrug your shoulders and go, you know, doctrine's really not my thing. God says that we need to feed on the word of God, otherwise we will stay forever immature in our faith. You show me a person who is mature in his faith, and I will show you a person who feeds regularly on the Word of God. There are no exceptions to that rule. 
It is the Word of God that feeds us spiritually. And, and too many of us who name the name of Jesus have sort of said, well, I'm not a scholar, and therefore I'm not going to become a Bible student. And that's wrong. Because in the end, if you are responsible to be a good minister, which it says right in that verse, you are, then you are responsible to read and understand your Bible for yourself. And if you don't, not only will you fail in your own ministry attempts, but you too will be led astray. You will fall prey to these false teachers. And so that brings us to the practical part. How do we avoid this false teaching? That's the $64,000 question. What are we supposed to do about this? This is scary. This is dangerous. And I'm not a scholar. What am I supposed to do? How do we avoid these false teachers? I have thought a lot about this and how to present this this week as I came across this passage. And I thought that one option is to, is to just frankly put up pictures and show video clips of famous false teachers and go, hey, this guy's a heretic. This woman is a heretic. Don't, listen, don't read this book. Don't, don't listen to this person. Don't watch this channel because there's so much of that. And we could just put up the, the names of, of famous um, heretics like Benny Hinn and, and Fred Price and Creflo Dollar and people like that and go, just avoid these people at all costs. But the thought of that is... So I could give you a list of like 20 people and go, hey, avoid the teaching of these people. There's two problems with that. Number one, not all their teaching is false, and so we don't want to confuse you with that. And number two, what are you going to do when the next heretic comes along and he's not on the list? So the only way that we can actually avoid these heretics is in the long run, we have to actually feed on the Word of God ourselves. And if I give you a list like that, what if I'm the one who's wrong and they're the one who's right? After all, just because I'm your pastor doesn't mean I'm right about everything. I am not the measuring stick for all truth. And that brings up a good point. What is the measuring stick for all truth? What? The Bible. The Bible is the measuring stick for all truth. So there are no shortcuts. If truth is this important, the way you get truth is from the Word of God. You can't take the shortcut. If you don't study the Word of God, you will be in grave danger because there is a spiritual war going on and you are going to be attacked. And the way that the enemy primarily attacks is through lies. That's his thing. He's the father of lies. All you got to do is ask Adam and Eve how it went when they confronted him in the garden. What did he do? He lied to them. He said, you won't die. God doesn't have your best interest at heart. You could be your own gods. All of those things are lies. But they sounded right. They made sense to them. And they took it hook, line, and sinker. So the enemy wants to hurt you. He wants to take you out of the game. And he's going to do that through deception. None of that has changed. So how do we avoid falling into these um, traps of the enemy's lies? Well, first of all, I want to just do this real quick because I'm running out of time here. Uh, I have $100. I need a volunteer to come up, somebody who would like to have this $100. Okay, Chuck, come on. I know Chuck wants $100. Bucks. All right, Chuck. Here's a $100 bill. Um, and the, this, yeah. You want one of those yellow markers to check it? Um, this is like one of those game shows, okay? So now you got $100. Um, or... You could take what's behind the curtain, what's actually not behind the curtain, it's in my pocket. I have, instead of that $100 bill, I have this $500 bill. 
So which one do you want? Do you want the 100 measly dollars or do you want $500? Which one? You're going to keep that one. That one's 100. This is 500. I don't know how you are at math, but that's, that's actually, this is five times as much as that. Why are you keeping that one? I know this one is real. You know that one's real? Well, how do you know this one's not real? Because it doesn't have the markings that it's supposed to have. <laughs> and it looks totally different. It doesn't look like a real one? No. How do you know? But, it, but let's say, I'm going to hold this. <laughs> let's say you never saw one of these. How would you know this is not real if you never saw the real one? Because I know. <laughs> the, I've been taught what's right. Okay, I'm going to hold on to this. I'll give it to you later. You go sit down, okay? <laughs> Listen, guys. Where did this come from? Monopoly game, right? You know that. It doesn't look anything like real American money, does it? And if you try to spend this or deposit it in your bank account, you're going to jail, right? <laughs> and you do not pass go. You do not collect $200. You go straight to jail. And the way that you know the difference between this and this, the reason you know that this is false is because you know what this looks like. And when you've seen the real thing, it becomes much easier to discern falsehood when it comes your way. Guys, there are people standing up on television every day waving these in front of your faces and saying, if you'll just pray this prayer, say these words, and send this money, you'll get this. It's fake. It's a lie. How are you going to know? You have to know the real thing. If you don't become a student of the word, then there's nothing for you to compare anyone's teaching to. And even the apostles said to their listeners, when we speak, go home and check it against the Word of God. And if, if the Word of God says different than what we see, we say, believe the Word and don't believe us. If even an angel from heaven comes to you and says, I have a new gospel, a new, a new $500 bill that's just going to be great for you, and it's not the same gospel that you've received in the Word of God, that angel is not from heaven, he's accursed. It's a demonic teaching. And so, Ephesians 4 tells us in verses 14 through 16 that we're going to have to become acquainted with truth. There's nothing else we can do. We have to become acquainted with truth. And if we do, we can become mature. Guys, we have a lot of growing up to do. Look what it says in verse 15. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. What is the key to our growing up? Truth. We have to have truth. It has to be spoken to us. It has to be spoken through us. And that's how we grow up. Because any child can be tossed around by a wave when it comes through them at the ocean. But we're to stand firm and to stand on the truth. Look at verse 16. From whom the whole body being filled and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Each individual part. This is why you don't get off easy. Because you don't get to say, I'm just going to let the pastor study and what he says I'll believe because I trust him. 
says that every individual part needs to be feeding on truth so that every individual part is growing so the whole body is healthy. That means if you're a Christian, you need to be feeding on the Word of God. And guys, I've said this a hundred times before. I'll say it again. If you were talking about physical sustenance, you would not eat once a week on Sunday mornings and then go through the rest of the week and be healthy, would you? No. We have to be people who get into the Word of God. I'm going to give you four very quick, specific things you need to do. Number one, start from where you are. Do not give in to the temptation to go, I just don't understand this stuff well enough. I'm not going to try. Start from where you are. If you were were grossly overweight and out of shape and you decided you wanted to run a marathon next year, you wouldn't get up and run 26 miles tomorrow. You start from where you are. And that might just be doing a few sit-ups or maybe a walk around the block. But you start from where you are. Guys, it's okay if you're not a Bible scholar. You have a Bible. You have the Holy Spirit. Start from where you are. Pick it up and read it. Number two, start reading the Word of God daily. And this takes discipline. You're either going to do it or you're not going to do it. And you will either grow or not grow based on whether you do it or don't do it. It takes discipline. You have to decide, I am going to read the Word of God. And let me just give you some advice. Number one, read slowly. There's nothing wrong, theoretically, with the through the Bible in a year reading plan or something if you want to get an overview. But I'd rather you spend a year in the book of John. I'd rather you spend a year in the book of Ephesians or 1 Peter. Just, just take your time. Read it slowly. Make sure you understand it. Ask questions. Take notes. Look for principles. Big foundational things upon which your faith can be built. Number three, and this is important, apply what you learn. I mean, get in the habit of always asking this question. When you read something in the scripture and you're finished and you're ready to close your Bible, before you do, ask yourself this question. What difference will this make in my life now? And come up with a practical application. You've been reading about forgiveness. You've been reading about uh, relationships being strengthened in Christ. And you know that there is a broken relationship in your life. And you have just let it stay broken and let it stay broken and let it stay broken. And you, you finish reading and go, okay, we're not supposed to be bitter. We're supposed to love one another. And you close it up. And then you could just easily put it away until tomorrow... Or you could say, how's this going to make a difference in my life? And you're going to pick up the phone and you're going to call that sister-in-law that you haven't spoken to in 20 years and you're going to say, hey, we need to talk because I want to make this right between us. That's the difference between somebody whose head is full of knowledge and somebody whose life is transformed. Apply what you learn. And finally, don't go it alone. Remember what it says in verse 16. We're all individual parts. The whole body needs to be built up together. Share what you're learning. Ask others to help you understand. Get a study buddy and go, hey, look, let's read a chapter of Romans every week and we'll get together for coffee on Wednesdays and talk about what we read. And you're just, it's not like, it's not intimidating. Nobody's a scholar. There's no test to take. You're just learning from one another and helping each other stay accountable. When you don't understand something that you read in the Bible, it's okay ask. All of us know someone who is more adept in the scripture than we are. Ask. Nothing thrills me more than than to open my email on a Monday morning and have somebody go, hey, you said this in the sermon and that made me think of this, but I don't understand this. Could you explain it? Yes. Ask. It's an awesome thing to be able to dig into the word of God. We're in this together. It's a dangerous world out there, guys. 
And it is time for us to grow up. We can sit and keep feeding on whatever gets fed to us, or we can intentionally make sure that we're feeding on the Word of God. The choice is yours, but the choice you make will make all the difference in the world. So get somebody to join arms with and get into the Word of God. It will change your life, and it will change somebody else's life through you. Let's stand and pray together. Father, we want to thank you that uh, you have not left us without truth. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. We thank you that your truth has now been written in this word called the Bible. We thank you that we have access to truth that is the measuring stick for all teaching. And we pray, God, that you would protect us and protect others from false teachers who are self-servingly preaching a false gospel. God, the only way we're going to know is if we get your word in our hearts. And so I pray that you would convict each of us of the need to do so. Thank you that you've, you've blessed us with Bibles. Let us use them, we pray, and then transform us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen.